What's going on, guys? I'm Nate. And I'm Colin. And welcome back to Behind the Streams. So we know it's been a while since we uh, have recorded an episode. We've both been really busy with schoolwork and activities, but we're back. And we're going to talk about a really great album today. But first, we wanted to talk about some of the music we've been listening to and enjoying since we uh, since we were last here. Um, I know, for one, there are a lot of great albums I've listened to. Uh, one that really comes to mind is Sometimes I Sit and Think and Sometimes I Just Sit by Courtney Barnett. This album was made in 2015, and I really enjoy... I really love the sarcastic delivery of Courtney Barnett that gets mixed in with serious deliveries to the point where... You can't even tell sometimes if it's a joke or not. It's just really fun to listen to. And yeah, it's a great record. Also, two albums that have come out in 2021 that I've really enjoyed that I would say are my two favorites of the year so far are Promises by Floating Points and Pharaoh Sanders uh, with the London Symphony Orchestra. That album's just beautiful, beautifully orchestrated, beautifully made, and Pharaoh Sanders is an amazing saxophone player. Uh, also, Roadrunner by Brockhampton. I've never really... Uh, I've never really loved Brockhampton, but this album was really good. I especially love the tracks Windows and Don't Shoot Up the Party. Speaking of very wonderfully orchestrated albums, something that I listened to recently was A Moon-Shaped Pool by Radiohead. The albums I've heard so far by them were Kid A, OK Computer, and The Benz, which are very guitar and electronic-centrated albums. When I heard a moon-shaped pool, I was expecting around the same sound. I don't know why, because it came out 16 years later than the most recent album I'd heard before it. But when I heard it, I got a pleasant surprise from the opening track called Burn the Witch. It's just this beautiful uh, symphony orchestra, all plucking chords, and uh, Tom York singing in his signature falsetto. Um, that wonderful opening really drew me into that album, and after I heard it, I was listening to it for about a week after that. Probably one of my favorite songs of the past month has been Burn the Witch. It is such a beautiful song. I highly recommend it. Another album I've really been listening to a lot was Led Zeppelin Four. Not much to say about that. It's already been done to death, but I do think that is one of the greatest albums ever made, and it's just like it's a really good rock album. Even if you don't like rock, you're going to like Led Zeppelin 4, I believe. One last album I've been listening to a lot was We Will Always Love You by The Avalanches. I listened to that a while back, but I didn't really think much of it until I re-listened to it. When I did, though, I realized that it's a really phenomenal dance and electronic album, and I kept coming back to it. My favorite songs on it were Running Red Lights, Born to Lose, and... Um, the MGMT song called The Divine Chord. I'm sure Nate and I have talked about yeah, that Yeah, that's before. a really good song. It's a very nice album to listen to late at night and just kind of relax to. So I've really been enjoying those three. So we have both obviously listened to a lot of great music in the past month or so. But the one album that really has stood out for us is the one we're about to review now. This is In a Silent Way by Miles Davis, the great, great trumpet player Miles Davis. This album was released in 1969 and is largely regarded as the first of Miles Davis's fusion albums, where he started to take a more electronic and open approach to jazz and really put down and smashed the stereotypes and boundaries of what jazz music was expected to be throughout the 50s and 60s. Um, 
Miles Davis was incredibly interested in breaking the norm. Uh, it was only natural that he would release such a strange, otherworldly album. And he was really helped by an incredible supporting cast on this album. He brought the great keyboardists Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, and Joe Zavinol, the amazing soprano saxophonist Wayne Shorter, the guitarist John McLaughlin, the drummer Tony Williams, and his longtime producer Teo Macero to all help him out to create this album. When I first heard this album, the only stuff I had really heard was one of some of Nate's just absolute favorite jazz albums. For me, most of jazz, what I thought of when I heard the word jazz was long solos and confusing structure. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I do really appreciate solos, and I love it when songs are oddly structured. But jazz was just taking everything that I knew at the moment to an extreme, and it was just a lot to take in with every album. So when I heard In a Silent Way, I was expecting to initially be very, very confused and have Nate have to explain it to me. But from the very first synth I heard, I realized that this was unlike any other jazz album I'd ever heard. Dare I say this is an ambient album? I would honestly say that this falls closer to the genre of ambient than it does to any other jazz. The music of Aphex Twin or Brian Eno comes to mind before the music of Charlie Parker or Count Basie. When I first heard this album, I was really impressed by Miles Davis's trumpet playing. Obviously, it's Miles Davis, one of the greatest trumpet players ever. Of course, it's going to be great. But I really appreciated um, the beautifully warm, full tone he had on his trumpet. And he didn't try to show off and be extremely fast or really technical. It was more about the sound and how good it actually sounded instead of playing really fast or really... I don't know how to describe it, like confusingly, yeah. like what I'd heard from John Coltrane at the time. Well, one of the staples of Miles Davis's career, uh, ever since he was playing bebop with Charlie Parker in the 1940s, Miles Davis was always obsessed with playing less. He wanted to downsize. He wanted there to be less chords. He wanted there to be less instruments, uh, less notes and more melody in his solos. And you can hear that in albums like Kind of Blue, on songs like So What or Freddie Freeloader, where Miles takes a very spacious approach. But I think that In a Silent Way is the best example of his restrained, spacious style of playing. Uh, he's so incredibly restrained and locked in in the endless grooves of three of two synthesizer players, an organ player, and the constant drumming of Tony Williams. Miles Davis just locks in. He only plays exactly where he needs to, and it's just beautiful. Miles Davis cuts through all of that noise from the synthesizer and the drums and the organs like a hot knife through butter. And his trumpet is really front and center for the entire first half of the album, really. Yeah, the, the album structure is two tracks, each one with three parts. The first track is titled Peaceful, and the second track is In a Silent Way, and it's about that time. Uh, the structuring of each of these starts with an opening section, that's around four, five, six minutes. Then a long middle section with different solos and uh, different synth patterns and drum patterns. And then the ending section is the first section exactly the same, just copied and put at the end. And this style actually drew a lot of criticism at the time from jazz purists saying that it was fake and it wasn't jazz because it was using electronic instruments and they were cutting things wherever they wanted and putting things that had already been played again but I think it works beautifully. Yeah, I like the idea of rehashing old ideas, sort of like motifs throughout the album. It's 
something that reminds me of that would be Pink Floyd's album Animals, where they took basically the exact same intro, changed up the lyrics, and stuck it on the outro. And even if it is unoriginal, it's just the same simple piece of music put at the beginning and the end of the album for a couple minutes. I think it really beautifully ties together the whole album because besides the intro and the outro, it's really just a lot of strange guitar soloing and abstract ideas being thrown out. So I think that intro and that outro really help to tie it all together and make the album feel more concise. Something that I really like about this album is Chick Corea and Herbie Hancock's synthesizers as well. I love how they weave in and out of the melody they're, at one point, they're in the background with Tony Williams and the um, organ. Joe Zavinol, the organ player. Another yes. amazing, amazing keyboardist and probably the greatest European jazz musician of all time. They change between taking a backseat to everybody and providing more of that ambience. And then at one point, they'll be in front of Miles and they kind of just weave in and out of the piece. Sometimes they'll be in the spotlight. Other times they'll be in the background. I love how they can work with it regardless of where they are and make it sound beautiful, though. Uh, I think I briefly touched on this before, but for an album so amazing and outside of the norm and so intricate, it was only right that Miles Davis would bring in all of the greatest musicians at the time. Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea are very well-known names, and rightfully so, those are two of the greatest jazz keyboardists to ever live. Herbie Hancock has basically had four careers in one. He started... Uh, playing as a frontman in the 1960s. He joined up with Miles Davis in the late 60s. Uh, he had his own funk career, and he's still a dominant force in jazz to this day at 82 years old. I love Herbie Hancock. I've heard Headhunters before, and I didn't love it as much as In a Silent Way, but I would say that's one of my favorite jazz albums too. Herbie Hancock is truly one of the greatest jazz artists ever. While we're on the topic of uh, the individual musicians from this album, it's very obvious that Miles Davis shines with his beautiful trumpet playing, his melodies, his blues and modal jazz language that he's learned from his career up to now. But I really think that the side musicians do deserve a lot of love. We've already talked about Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock. What about Tony Williams? Tony Williams is, he is just on the beat the entire time. He does not miss a single um, hit where he's supposed to. And he just relentlessly keeps tempo underneath all of the craziness of this album. The constant groove of Tony Williams that's present throughout the entire album from start to finish is just amazing. The fact that Tony Williams was only like in his 20s, he was very young when he made this too, is it's all the more impressive about how good he is on this album. Tony Williams was not to beat a dead horse, but he was playing with Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, and Wayne Shorter at the age of 18. I'm 16 years old. You two, imagine if two years from now I was playing jazz with Miles Davis. Like that is how incredible Tony Williams is. An 18-year-old under that much pressure. It's just incredible. And he was amazing too. You know what else is incredible? Wayne Shorter's solo in the second half. Wayne Shorter's solo on It's About That Time is ridiculous. The fact that he can stand up to Miles Davis and sound just as good, if not better, but he does it completely his own thing. He doesn't try to imitate Miles Davis. He plays like Wayne Shorter. He takes these long, sprawling lines on the soprano up and down and up and down, and then he'll find a melody and rest on it for just long enough that you're not getting comfortable. If Miles Davis's playing is comfortable and warm, it feels like home. Wayne Shorter's is sporadic and angry. 
It feels otherworldly. It feels like an alien ship descending down to our planet. He never sits on anything for long enough to get used to it, but he sits on it just for long enough to want to get used to it. It just keeps leaving you wanting more. Let me just say, even though Miles Davis is quite literally the one of the greatest jazz musicians ever, he's like the Led Zeppelin of jazz, I would say that Wayne Shorter probably has the best solo on this album. That is how good it agree. is. That entire part of it, It's About Time, is my favorite part of the album. I know it's Nate's favorite part of the album. That is my favorite part, too. That's the uh, middle section of the second track, which is set up just like the first track with an intro, a long middle section, and then the exact same intro as the outro. That one area of the album is probably one of my favorite moments of music ever. As of now, I just love that solo. I love the bass line underneath it. I love the uh, the first of the two different synthesizer grooves. The first one yeah. where they just like, they hit it for like three notes and then there's space for like two measures and they hit another three notes and then space. And then they'll switch to the really soft descending chords, then go back to the old one. I love that. The anxiousness and the sporadic of the sporadic nature of it's about that time is all resolved though in the end in, in a silent way when they totally just return to the intro. And it should be bad. It should be like they're just rehashing old ideas. This isn't that good. But it's amazing. That's it the works. thing. It's so it's such beautiful music. It works perfectly to lead into this sporadic free alien middle section, and it works perfectly to take us out. The uh I'd, we've talked plenty of praise on Miles Davis and Wayne Shorter so far, but I think they still deserve more for their beautiful playing in the In a Silent Way section. John McLaughlin, too, though, on the electric guitar. Not something that you would expect to be the forefront of a jazz album, but John McLaughlin is just perfect on the In a Silent Way section. Uh, his guitar bends are just perfect. He'll hit a note and then get off. I don't know how a guitar works, really, but whatever he was doing, he was doing it right. This whole album is like the contrary to any sort of jazz that had been made at the time, and anything that was really made after it, too. Anything you would expect from normal jazz, Miles just throws you a total curveball with this album, and that's what I really love about it, is how unique and the ingenuity that went into the creation of this. I do think a lot of credit goes to Teo Macero, the producer, too. Uh, he was worked hand-in-hand hand with Miles Davis throughout all of his jazz fusion years. Miles Davis had a vision for what he wanted his music to be. He knew what he wanted to do to break the boundaries, and Teo Macero was willing to go along with whatever Miles Davis wanted, and he was able to execute it, which is not an easy task coming from a genius creative mind like Miles Davis. Not only a genius creative mind, but a very short temper. Anyone who worked with Miles Davis, uh, anyone who's read a little about a little bit about him can attest. He had a very short temper and he wasn't the greatest guy to work with, but him and uh, Teo Macero always seemed to get along and always seemed to create great music. Sometimes the most fiery personalities can make some of the most beautiful stuff though. That's true. You know what the, uh, you know what the craziest thing is? Uh, Miles Davis, we've already established, was breaking jazz boundaries with this album. And Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, Tony Williams, Wayne Shorter were right alongside with him. This was already like the fourth time he had destroyed jazz boundaries. Miles it's just Davis, absurd. It's insane. He had already done it with Kind of Blue. He did it again with um, ESP, Miles Smiles in his post-op era. He did it with In a Silent Way. He would continue to do it with albums like On the Quarter. And then when he hadn't had enough, he went and played with Prince in the 80s. 
there was really nothing that Miles Davis didn't do. Would I dare I say he's probably one of the greatest musicians of all time? I he, think that yeah, I 100% agree. Miles Davis is one of the, if not the greatest musicians of all time. So with that, I think it would be good to wrap up the episode. Yeah, Overall, I, I highly, highly recommend this album. Even if you haven't liked jazz or you haven't liked jazz before, this is just a truly one-of-a-kind experience. This album is like nothing you've ever heard, and it's like nothing you'll ever hear ever again. If I had to think of one word to describe this album, I think I would go with alien. Uh, everything from the idea to the structure to the saxophone playing of Wayne Shorter to the fact that there are three keyboardists playing at any given time. This album is just an alien concept, but it works to perfection for such a unique and amazing listening experience. One word that I would use to describe this album would be ethereal. It feels as if it's not of this earth, and it's so fragile, and it's truly one of a kind to say the same thing we've been saying this entire episode. And overall, it feels like it's just totally from another planet. I love it so much. This album is definitely worth a listen from anyone anyone who enjoys music, which I assume you guys do. Uh, you will not regret listening to this album. So I think that's going to do it. Um, you know where to reach us on Instagram, on Spotify. You can listen to our supplementary playlists. Tune in to 88.1 WLTL to hear the great music and whatnot. That is going to do it. As always, I'm Nate. And I'm Colin. Thank you for listening to Behind the Streams. Thank you.